Michael Maiden spoke over Sarah and I, and he said some interesting things. One of the things he said, and he prophesied over us for 10 minutes. Um, if you ever want to see it, you just got to go on Facebook onto the Equipus Surrey page and scroll down to the Michael Maiden meeting, and you, it's there. Um, 41 minutes in. I know that because I've watched it several times. Um, but if you're just interested. Um, but one of the things he said is that we've got four churches in us. And uh, we're about to become an Equippers church, Equippers Essex, on the 10th of February next year. And um, that's going to be very exciting. But what I'm believing for is that we will become a hub church for other Equippers churches to grow in Essex. And we will lead the way. So all that we're going through now, one day we will take someone else through. And maybe we'll even plant out and start from scratch. And um, we'll send Io and Becky to start that. Did I, did I say that? Did I say that? I jest, I jest. I just walked out. <laughs> I've never seen Becca run so fast. <laughs> no, but seriously, there's good things happening in this church. And the future for us is just going to be incredible. And it's that, is that challenge... Of course, ultimately, we make life about us to a level because we want to have a good life and we want to succeed. But when you look beyond yourself and think, actually, it's not just about me, it's about someone else. What could we do as a group of people to advance the kingdom in tangible ways? Those people wouldn't know Jesus unless I'd done that. Those people wouldn't be married unless I'd done that. Those people wouldn't have their health unless I'd prayed that. Those kind of questions you can ask yourself that you're making a difference advancing the kingdom because you've made it not about you. And as a church, we're going to continue to do that and we're going to see something special happening. Uh, so if you're into titles for today, the title I've given it is Next Steps. We are coming to the end of the year. It's good time to reflect. And uh, normally, I guess, traditionally, you'd do this either on the, the first Sunday of January or the last Sunday of, of December. But I feel like it slots in nicely here because I believe in this coming week or 10 days, people get a bit of time to reflect. And it's, it's a good process to go on. I hope your 2018 has been fantastic. I hope you'll look back and go, good things happened for me. Um, but I'm well aware also, for some people, that won't be your story, and that 2018 might have been very difficult. But I want you to take heart, if that's you. I want you to learn from it. I want you to process it. I want you to grow. 2018 doesn't define you. Your future is still good. And it's not your destination to live like that. And I want you to be encouraged, because sometimes if you look at an entire year, and the average of your entire year is... <laughs> You start thinking, that's how I'm going to live. And that's not your truth. Your future is good. So turn to the person next to you and say, next year is going to be a good year for you. I want you to be encouraged by this, that so often we look around, and we look around particularly at what I would call gifted people, people who just seem to go off and be able to do stuff. And you look at them and think, oh, it's all right for them. They're flourishing. And, but I look at me and, oh. But I want you to understand this. Gifting is important. Someone who's gifted can walk into a room and, and change the atmosphere. Someone can walk into a room and play an instrument, sing a song, give a talk, do something. It's, oh, wow, that's amazing. And that's so, so important. And I hope you've got gifts that change atmospheres and bring life. But anointing is better. Here's the thing. Anointing works by crushing. To get the anointing oil, you have to crush the seed. And so often we're saying, God, would you do something in my life? And do you know where he starts? By crushing. So I want to encourage you, if 2018 has felt to you like I've been crushed, squashed, and I've got nothing left to give, good. Because now it has to be God. Because you've got nothing left. And so that means the anointing on your life is about to go. So be encouraged. If this has been a difficult season for you. The next season is going to be good. Do you know why I know? Anointing will flow. Look at this in Isaiah 10, 27. <coughs> 
It shall come to pass in that day that his burden will be taken away from your shoulder and his yoke from your neck and the yoke will be destroyed because of the anointing oil. If, the whole idea of a yoke is it's the thing they put on the ox to keep them together and steered, and it's heavy and it keeps your head down and you have to do like that. And I wonder if some people have felt like this is how I've lived for the past year, you know, because it's felt heavy. But God says the anointing oil breaks the yoke. And when the yoke is off, you stand up and you can see clear. And I want to declare over you, 2019, if 2018 has been difficult, the anointing is about to flow for you. Receive it, get it in you, believe it and speak into it. What you speak out is so important, isn't it? We believe that stuff in church, but sometimes I don't hear it. So can you make your average words, it's going to be a good year for me. It's going to be a good year for you. Don't just think it, say it. When God made the world, he spoke it. He didn't just think it. Hmm, it'd be nice if we had a planet. No! He said, let there be water. Let there be light. Let there be vegetation. Let there be animals. Let there be us! He spoke it. So let your average language become speaking out the good things that are coming from the anointing that is on your life. Are you encouraged? Awesome. So what does 2019 look for you? And I know, and I've done it in the past, and I believe in it, and there'll be lots of churches and lots of ministers around the world declaring, God's going to do this in your life. God's going to do that in your life. It's going to be the best year because God's going to do it. And I believe that stuff. The trouble with that message on its own is it takes you out of it. And the trouble is God's into partnership. He works with us. He advances the kingdom together. He causes the Holy Spirit to fill people so that people build the church, so that people reach out to humanity. He does it together. So if God's just going to do this, that, and the other thing for you, what are you doing? And I want to challenge you that God is going to do those things for you, and I believe in that thought process, but it's your life, and you need to take hold of it. You need to take your life by the scruff of the neck and say, this is who I am, this is what I'm believing for, so this is how I'm going to live. If you just carry on doing your own thing, believing God's going to do it, he's not going to do it, because he's in partnership with you. So we need to take our part of the responsibility, and that's what I want to speak into today. Look at this, um, Libby Hubiru, as a friend of mine, put this on Facebook. Decide what kind of life you actually want, then say no to everything that isn't that. I love that! This is where I want to be. This is who I want to be. This is what I want to experience. So that kind of lifestyle doesn't fit that. No. No is one of the most powerful two-letter words in your vocabulary. Could we be a church that sometimes says no, unless Pastor Barry asks you to do something? (laughs) Here's what's important, I believe. Getting your foundation right. If you're believing for, hoping for, and declaring 2019 to be a good year for you, what's your foundation like? Because we all know that any building can only go as high as the foundation. You know, even in nature, and God speaks through nature so much, the big trees have got ginormous roots, haven't they? They have to go down to be able to go up. So what's your foundation? What are you building on, and is it Jesus-centered? And it's so key, and I know it's a bit poignant, but we've got to get real about this stuff. We can't be coming to church on Sunday and going, oh, praise you, Jesus, and going away and living something else. We need to be people who choose what I'm building my life on. And I want to be a church full of people that are building their life on Jesus every day. 
Here it is in Revelation 2.4, and I actually believe Mark Collard mentioned this in his message recently. Uh, this is um, the angel speaking to the church in Ephesus, and the church at Ephesus were a good church. They were doing good stuff. You've done great stuff, he says beforehand, but nevertheless, I hold this against you. You have left your first love. And so this church is getting on with doing life, but he's saying, but you've forgotten what it was actually all about. And I just wonder if, because they've stepped away from their first love, Jesus, that everything else becomes wobbly. If your foundation wobbles, everything wobbles. Do you see? So foundations are absolutely crucial. I wonder if the things they lost were keeping Jesus center, keeping Jesus front. Worship, praying, gathering together, doing those things that promote a Jesus-centered life. And I wonder for us people living in 2018 what our wrestles are, because let's not think we don't have those wrestles. I wonder if we have children and get tired and so don't attract our first love. I wonder if we work hard, get promotion and get busy and so forget our first love. I wonder if we meet our life partner and get married and our thought processes change and our priorities change and we forget our first love. And it's so easy to do. In the busyness of you building your life, do we so easily step away from what was first and foundational? And it's not that we intend it and it's not that we stop loving Jesus, but now it's not foundational. Now it's just a part of life. Jesus doesn't want to be a part. He wants to be the foundation, the center, the middle, the top, and everything. When Jesus is in the middle of everything, you grow. But the reality is, I think, for so many of us, we step away from our first love. It's so great to have a worship time like we just did, because you're like, yes, this is what it's about. When I get right with Jesus, things in my heart change, my thought life change, my speech changes, my results change. And it all starts with the foundation of your first love. So get, let me give you a couple of things to think about. You know, if you're having a moment over Christmas, good things to consider about first love. Devotionals. Give me a wave if you do a devotional. Yeah, pretty good. Let me encourage you, if you don't yet do a devotional, do one. You know, if you get the Bible app, what's that called, that one that everyone's got with the brown picture of the Bible? You, you, you version, that's it. It's quite good. It's a bit, bit embarrassing. I, I changed my phone recently. and uh, Do you use the U version? Every time you open it now, it counts whether you opened it. And, do you know? And so you can see you've got a streak. You, got, you see? And you've got perfect weeks and all this and the other. So uh, there I am at Shout in New Zealand with all these high-flying pastors leading great churches. And I changed my phone. And when you change your phone, my streak stopped. And so we were like, oh, yeah, how, you use the bot you version. Oh, I use the V version. We all got it out. Oh, no. My streak was about six. <laughs> Everyone else's streak was about 70. And like, that was like, oh, rubbish. <laughs> but it's a good, and that doesn't matter on the one hand. But on the other hand, it's a good thing to get as your first. Could you start your day? With, if you go on there, there are devotions about every topic under the sun. From brilliant preachers and teachers from all different flavors, you will find someone or something saying something that will speak to you. And it's just a great way to start your day every day. It's simple. I encourage you, get a devotional going. It's a good thing. Amen. Prayer. I wonder what your prayer life's like. You know, prayer meetings are one thing, and our prayer meetings are awesome and growing, by the way. And I encourage you to go on a Tuesday night if you can. But how's your prayer life? What's your average prayer week like? Are we getting Jesus-centered or not? Or is it just a part of our life and our first love is over here and we're getting on with it over here? This is what Ephesus did. How about 
being part of a church group because it keeps Jesus centered. How about looking outside of yourself? What are you doing for someone that's nothing to do with you? Because it's actually that's the heart of Jesus. And it causes you to be closer to him. How about this? Accountability. Who have you got in your life that you go to and say, I've got this wrestle, I've done that, I've said this, this is coming up, can you help me wrestle through it? That is one of the biggest strengths in church because you come to people who will never judge you and will only love you. And as we love each other, we can love each other through the difficult times and celebrate with each other the good times, but it keeps Jesus in the middle of it all. Devotionals, prayer, being part of a church group, looking outside of yourself and accountability. Make little notes, address those things that will encourage you to kickstart something for next year. I spoke on this some time ago, and um, when you reflect this time next year, and no doubt you will, the success or failure of 2019 will be based around your consistent average decisions. Everyone has a great day. Everyone has a stinking day. Everyone has a great week or a great month. But the success or failure of your year will depend on your averages over the year. On average, are you generous? On average, do you attend? On average, do you pray? On average, etc., etc., etc. That would dictate where you end up. It's not, oh, I was this once or I was that once. It's what is my average. So what's your vision for 2019? For your spiritual growth, for your relationships, for your children, for your health, for your finances, for your home, for the part you might play in church. What's your vision? And your vision doesn't have to be my vision and certainly doesn't have to be the person next to you's vision. What's your vision? Because you need to decide, this is what I want it to look like. Pray into that. Get a revelation from God and then make it that. And God will empower it. Uh, Proverbs 29, 18, which is the classic vision verse. If you've got a Bible app or if you've got your note taker, get to know this verse. Where there is no revelation, and some passages will say vision, people cast off restraint. But happy is he who keeps the law. Here's the thing. It's this whole idea of a horse. So when you put a bridle on a horse, you restrain it. The horse is powerful and fast, and it might want to veer off to the right, but it can't veer off to the right because you're restraining it. No, we're going there. It might want to veer off to the left, and it's strong and it's powerful, but you're riding it. No, we're staying in the middle, and you steer. It's keeping the horse restrained. When we have a vision, we have to keep restrained. I want to do X, Y, or Z, and to do that, I need to go there, which means I can't go there. And so when I start going over here, and I know, no, 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 I'm restraining myself and I'm going there because it will end up in the right place, which is what my vision was. Vision brings restraint and we need restraint. Whatever it looks like for you, if, I like this definition of vision, seeing a better future. What is in your life? Do you think, I'd love it if that was better? Well, to get there, you need to decide how you're going to get there and be restrained. And get there and stay doing the right thing. Your average decision needs to be restrained based on the vision. When we have a vision as a church, we're restrained. There are a whole bunch of things we could do. But we say, no, 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 we're going to do this because this is the calling on our church. So we're staying in line. Do you see? Other churches do it different ways. And that's brilliant. But our vision says we're doing it this way. And we will keep doing it. Do you see what I mean? And you can apply that same principle to your own life. What is it you're looking for? And get some consistent averages. Do you know what it takes? Discipline. It takes discipline. We all love that word, but it's a tough one. 
I'm going to say just a few things about a few different areas of life. Uh, and I want to say it as an encouragement. And I've wrestled with this next one. I was actually awake in the night wrestling with it, actually. But I want to speak to fathers. Because I think we've lived in a generation, I think it's shifting, actually. We've lived in a generation we've called the fatherless generation. There may be people in this room who grew up without a dad. Or maybe grew up with an absent father. But we've called it that. And I think it's shifting because I think at last men are stepping up, which is a great thing. And I think it's church-led. But one of the things that I think is difficult now is being a father in a home with discipline when the whole world's got an opinion on what that might look like. Your friends, your people on the way to school have got an opinion on what that should look like. And our wrestle as a church is we're getting further and further and further away from what God said and closer and closer and closer and closer to the world's opinion. And in the midst of that, we're having children who aren't growing up godly. And we don't want that, do we, church? So what is your vision as a dad for your children? What is your vision maybe as a future dad for your children? How do you want it to look like? Now, I've been preaching for nigh on 14 years now, and I've learned this. I don't learn too much, me, but I've learned this. It's not about the preacher telling you how to live. My role isn't to tell you what to do. My role, number one, is to point you to Jesus. Number two, make it biblical. And number three, get you to wrestle some things. You are clever people. Let me throw some thoughts out there. And I'm not saying I'm right or you're wrong. But what you can do is think, what do I think about that? And does it line up with the word? That's the wrestle I want to take you on. So here is what today is probably a controversial scripture. But it's God-ordained. Proverbs, uh, Proverbs 13, 24 says this. Controversial. Whoever spares the rod hates their children. But the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. Now, this is what that isn't saying, and this is what I'm not advocating. I'm not advocating you smash your children around. I mean, that is so un-PC, isn't it? But what that means, they're talking to a, a group of people who know shepherding. And so you will all know that shepherds have a crook. And so that, that had two purposes. It had a curly end. You know what a crook looks like at a curly end. And the reason for that curly end is sometimes dozy old sheep ends up in the bush. <laughs> and so when he left the 99 and went for the one, what did he take with him? He took his crook. He found dopey old sheep in the bush, got his hook around the sheep and pulled him out. It's for protection. It's for safety. It's to call, call the sheep back. That's good. But the other end is straight, and it's a rod. Now, I don't believe that the shepherd, whose job it was to shepherd the sheep, went around smashing the sheep. But I do believe as they were going, of course, he might have just gone, come on, guys, this way. Tap them in, keep them in line. This is where we're heading. This is where we're going. I'm not beating you up. I'm not harming you, but I'm bringing discipline. You want to wander over there, but I'm the shepherd. And I'm telling you we're going over here because it's better for you. I know where the green grass is. I know where the pasture is. I know where the best life is. So we're going over there. This way, please, guys. Fathers, you are the shepherd of your children. So not sparing the rod doesn't mean bashing seven bells out of them at all. It probably doesn't mean hitting them at all. I'm not advocating that. But what it does mean is discipline. Saying, guys, that's not how we're going to live. And you know what? That takes effort. Dads, that takes effort. And here's where I think it's become difficult. Because dads, people in general, but as I'm speaking to dads, are working longer hours, more stressed, more difficult. You're coming home from work. And do you know the last thing you want to do? Discipline your children. 
And so we just go with it. Because was it really that bad? It's okay. They're nice. At heart, they're nice kids. But what happens is you build up averages. If the children on average keep stepping away from what is good and healthy in terms of attitude, eventually that becomes their attitude. And, it is, and I want to specifically speak to fathers, because I believe it's the father's role. I know family looks different nowadays, but let me speak to fathers. It is your job in your home to discipline your children. And I want to encourage you, don't be too tired for that, because you're setting yourself up for a failure later. You'll be get a 15-year-old and look, what happened there? Well, do you know what happened? For the last six years, you've never said anything. And we need to bring them back into line and say, no, it's because I love you, because I know what's best for you, because I know what's going to happen in 10 years' time, I want to get this discipline into you. And it's a good thing. The word says if you don't do that, you hate your children. I'll let you wrestle with that one. I won't interpret that too much. You will know my dad, awesome dude at the back there. Look, see, can't stop being a dad. Look, 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 that couldn't have timed that any better. Now, dad's lovely, isn't he? You know, kind, generous, smiley. Let me tell you as your son, you don't want to get on the wrong side of dad. As we were growing up, we had the, well, I guess mum and dad talked it through, but we had this thing where, you know, dad was working and mum would be at home and especially as we were getting older, if we were playing up and uh, mum would tell us off and we was like, oh, it's only mum and it's only mum. And then she'd say the fateful words, wait till dad gets home and we were bricking it. Because you knew when dad got home, the first conversation was, Terry, have a word with them. We were waiting and we heard it. Boys, to your room. And then he'd leave you there. It'd leave you there for a good half an hour just to think about it. That's the worst. Forget the rod, forget the spank. Think about it, mate. Your mind goes, what's he going to do? He's going to kick us out. He's going to kick us out. <laughs> All kinds of stuff goes through your mind. But do you know what it is? It's not sparing the rod. It's bringing discipline. So that when dad walks in, because of our love and respect for him and because of his love and respect for us, he came in and said, guys, that's not good enough. That's not how we're going to behave. And it wasn't thrashing. I think when we talk about the rod, we're all thinking about hitting people. That's not what it's talking about. It's keeping discipline. It's keeping people going the right way. And who knows that every kid unchecked will go the wrong way. They just will. I don't know why, why God did it that way, but it's to teach us something, I'm sure. But they will, so we don't spare the rod. I hope I'm demonstrating something. My children are on display for you most of the time, every single week. What you don't see is me at home when Josh plays up, when Josh gets a bit cocky, when Evie's tired and got a bad strop on. Then it's not Smiley Barry. It's Dad. It's Father. It's discipline. No, that's not how we live, guys. But what you then see is on Sunday, my children serving in church. What you then see is my children who are confident and have lots of friends. What you see is I know my children go somewhere beyond I've ever been. Part of that is because I, as father, am not sparing the rod. Do you hear me? If you've got a vision, fathers, for your children, apply that principle and don't let it go down the, the run. You need to be good at that. Let's give a round of applause for our fathers. It's not easy. <clears throat> so we're looking at averages, and uh, we're looking at consistent choices, and we're looking at a vision where Jesus' first love 
that springs into the rest of your life. And I love this in Galatians 6, 9. And it says this, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we'll reap harvest if we do not give up. Now that is specifically talking about introducing people to, to Jesus, saving souls. But it's the very same principle for every other area of life. Let's keep doing the right thing, because at the right time, you'll get what you hoped for. Do you see the principle that's there? Let's keep our averages good. Now, you might be someone who in 2019 wants to lose some weight, wants to get healthier. I think that's a common factor in life. It's definitely in church life. It's not about fasting for a week. It's the, how many people just go crash and burn? I'm not going to eat anything at all. I'm going to do the latest fad diet, which is cabbage leaves and nothing else. <laughs> and, what happen, yeah. and what happens is you can manage that for a week. You can manage that for two weeks. You might even manage it for a month. But you won't keep it up. And so the averages over the year aren't that. Do you see what I mean? What the average needs to be is that I have a vision that this year I'm going to be healthier. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to restrain myself. And do you know what? That extra cake, that extra pie, that extra meal out doesn't fit in with the vision. So I restrain myself. And it's continual. I think if your averages are good, you will get what you hoped for. That also means you can have some moments that aren't average. You know, I studied health and fitness. I was a personal trainer for three years. Loved doing that. Loved helping people achieve their goals. Really enjoyed it. But here's the thing, you can have a pie, you can have a cake, you can have a glass of wine, but let it be a treat, not your average. When people are so set on diet, even the word diet is just a horrible word, isn't it? I'm on a diet. Do you know what? Everyone in this room's on a diet, because it's what you eat. So if we just get away from that and think, actually, on average, I'm going to do this, this, and this. I'm going to exercise, I'm going to, whatever it might be for you. Again, it's not for me here to tell you what to do. I'm here to wrestle you. One of the things, isn't it, I think is a life message I carry, is that we're three-part beings. You know, we're body, soul, and spirit. A third of your being is your body. And so if we're the vessels to carry Jesus, to carry the Holy Spirit to the world, don't our bodies need to be as good as we could make them? And everyone is a different shape and size, and no one needs to look like me, and I don't need to look like you, but could you be the best you? Because it's part of your God makeup. I know that the, uh, Brian Houston, for instance, is a very successful church leader and preacher. He goes running two or three times a week, and he says, I have to do that because I need to keep my fitness levels up for my ministry. If I start getting fatigued on stage and start getting excited and I'm losing my breath, that's no good. Peter Prothero, who we've had here, is my mentor. I chatted to him and said, Peter, the last three times I've seen you speak, you can hardly get your breath in. He's like, you're right. Because <gasps> as soon as he gets excited, he, get, get, he can't get his breath in. So do you know what? He trains four times a week now. He's lost a stone and a half, and he's got a bit more muscle mass. And Jackie likes it. <laughs> but it's important. Challenge yourself to be the best you. And I don't know what that looks like for you, but I know this. If you don't give up doing what's right, you will re reap the re harvest. Small, consistent steps. Maybe you're someone today who wants your finances to build. Now, for me, as a church leader and understanding spiritual principles, if anyone comes to me struggling financially, my first thought, and I don't always say it, but I'm going to say it to everyone so it's not awkward. My first thought is, what's your giving like? I believe in the principle of giving your way out of debt. 
because the, the, the kingdom works in the total opposite way to the world. The world will say, it's mine, I've earned it, I'll keep it, I'm going to stockpile it, I'm going to make it good. But the Holy Spirit says, those who bless others will be blessed themselves. Those who sow sparingly will reap sparingly, but those who give generously will reap generously. The whole thing with giving is that you're trusting God to do something outrageous that wouldn't happen in the world. So that would always be my first question, and I challenge you with that. What's your giving like? The second thing is, what's your averages? You know, are you spending every penny before it comes in? Are you spending more than every penny before it comes in? Are you creating a plan with the people you live with in your home to say, this is how we're going to do it? We're going to save a little bit here. We'll save a little bit there. And we'll save a little bit. And by the end of the year, when you've done it on average, you'll look back and you'll go, wow. And do you know what? I could stand up and God's going to bless your finances. God's going to make you rich. And he might. But I know he wants to work with you. And so my encouragement to you is get a grip, make a plan, get a vision, and stick to it and be restrained. And in married households, you need to be in that together. So, so important. Sarah and I, every single week now on a Friday, sit down and go, what's the finances looking like? And then I tell her if I'm spending too much money. <laughs> not true, not true. But we do it together. What about for a better relationship? I wonder if you're in a romantic relationship, a marriage or a, or a friendship that's developing or a relationship that you're hoping is going to go somewhere one day. I think one of the things that goes missing in society today is romance. I try really hard in, in our relationship, I'm pointing at Matt there. <laughs> I've always liked that mustard jumper. <laughs> I try really hard in our, our relationship to keep the romance going. And you know what? And I'm sure the girls will agree with me. It's not about overblown gestures. Overblown gestures are good. If you want to send her away for a spa weekend or take her to Rome or something, brilliant, great. But that's not it. It's the continual thoughtfulness. It's the being selfless. It's looking at their life and thinking, how could I make that better? You know, every time I go away, and it's become a thing of mine now, so it's probably not a surprise, but every time I go away, I leave notes under all of my family's pillows. And so when they go to bed and they're snuggling down, they put their hand under their pillow and there's a note from dad or, or husband, and I hope you don't get that messed up because that would be a bit weird. <laughs> but, I, um, but I say kind things to my family, and I say loving things to my wife. And so she misses me and I misses her, but it's romantic. And it just takes us, it took no money to do that. Just a little bit of thought, a little bit of time, and a little bit of sharing my heart. And I want to say to you, if you're in a romantic relationship, what's your averages? Because if your averages are romantic, your relationship's going to go to a different level. And if you say, oh, God, we're, we're in church talking about God, go and read Songs of Solomon and tell me God's not into it. Because he is. That's like, a, that's like a certificate 18 book in the Bible, which we don't talk about too much. But it's in there. God made us to have these feelings. And so why shouldn't we say, if I'm living a Jesus-centered, Jesus-foundational life, why shouldn't my romantic life be good? Why do I just put that on the side and think that doesn't matter? It matters. It matters to you and it matters to your partner. Get good at it. Turn to the one you love. If she's near you or he's near you and say, you're awesome. And if you're not near someone, you just tell someone else they're awesome and that'll be okay. <laughs> All of this 
links to a message I gave a little while ago, which was talking about the hierarchy of the soul, when you're talking about mind, will, and emotions. And so, so often people don't get their grip on their finances or don't get a grip on their romantic life or don't get a grip on their, uh, on their children or whatever it might look like in you, don't get a grip on your health because it feels tough. And because it feels tough, you don't step into it. That is emotion-led. When you are led by your thought process, by your mind, you say, this is what I want to achieve, and I'm sticking to it. So I am going to make a choice to do something romantic. Not because I feel like it, because it's a good thing to do. And you step into it, it becomes your norm. I'm going to make a choice to get a grip of my finances. Not because I feel like it, because I'm going to lead myself that way. Do you see? When we're emotional, oh, it's tough. Oh, I'm tired. I've got to discipline the children. I don't feel like it. It's awkward. It's a pain. Well, that's fine, but you will reap the reward of that. Whereas when you're led by your mind, you say, the right thing to do here, the Bible-based truth here is to do this, this, and this, you will reap that. So what's your average thought process like? One of the things I want to say to you today, and I, I believe this is a prophetic word for the church, is this, that God is calling people from the back to the front. That people have been hanging around at the back, looking at other people flourishing life. He's saying, yeah, but your turn now. And if you felt like you'd been the one always watching, always seeing someone else succeed, not just in church life, but in life, always seeing someone else at the front, someone else doing something, and you're always at the back, this year, God is calling you to the front. And I got a little video, it's a minute and a half long, and it's, um, it's at one of the, I think it's one of the Olympics, or it's, a, it's, a, it's an 800 metre race. Uh, anyway, just play the video, you'll get the picture. <laughs> can't hear but it's pretty cool here's the thing i hope that that plants a vision in your mind that if you're someone who's been felt like you're at the back god's calling you to the front and the way he did that wasn't to go flat out and burn himself out in one push he was consistently just a bit quicker than everyone else and at the end he got his reward 
Can you see? If he'd sprinted to try to catch up, it'd have blown out at the end. We've all seen that happen in races. But he consistently just sped up a bit, sped up a bit, sped up a bit. So can this be the year where you consistently speed up a bit? Because God is calling you to the front. He needs you at the front. He needs you to win because you're representing him. It's not even about you. It's actually about him. And so in all of this process, I want you primarily to be um, inspired by Jesus. Jesus was baptized. And his father opened the heavens and sent the Holy Spirit on him and said, This is my son. I love him. Please with him. Jesus' chest is puffed out. My dad loves me. Do you know the very next thing that happened? The Holy Spirit takes him out into the wilderness for 40 days with no food and drink. And he's tempted. Really difficult place. And sometimes life does this, doesn't it? It goes up and down and up and down. And he was Jesus on a high with his father. And then he gets taken to the wilderness. But this is the thing. The devil came to him and said three things. Do this and I'll do this. Do that and I'll do that. Do this and I'll do the other thing. You can have the world. Do you know what Jesus said on every occasion? No. And do you know why? I think it's two things. Firstly, he had a foundational relationship with his father, which he would never compromise. And secondly, he knew his vision. My vision is to come here and set people free. My vision here is to come and cause relationship between my father and humanity again. That's my vision. This doesn't fit into that vision, so the answer is no. And who knows in that dark moment when he was tired and hungry and away from his father and in the desert, it would have been far easier to say yes. But Jesus demonstrated something. So if you're feeling in a desert place right now, if you're feeling tired and hungry and like, shove it. Be inspired by Jesus. Stick to the vision. Stick to the vision. Keep Jesus central to everything. If Jesus would do it, you can do it. If Jesus is not going to do it, don't do it. Get Jesus foundational because your life will go somewhere new. Two of my favorite verses surrounding Jesus here. Hebrews 12, 2 says this. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and author of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the Father at the throne of God. Here's the thing. Jesus, although fully God, was fully man. And he knew what was coming. He had to go to a cross and die a death he didn't deserve. Why did he do it? Vision. This is what I've come to do. It's not going to feel good, but I choose. And the reason I choose is because at the end of 2018, there's going to be a place in Colchester full of people. And I'm doing it for you. I want a relationship with you spread my arms out for you it doesn't feel nice in fact it's horrendous but it's my vision and I'm sticking to it and I'm not wavering and I'm never changing it and it's my demonstration of love to you Matthew 26 39 says this going a little farther he fell at his face to the ground and prayed my father if it is possible may this cup be taken from me yet not as I will but as you will this is just before Jesus goes to the cross and he gets before his dad and he says, Dad, isn't there another way? This is painful. I know what's coming. Other parts say he sweated blood. He was anxious. But then he gets back and centered. But it's not about me. It's about you. 
So have your way. And so if you find yourself in an uncomfortable moment, if you're going through something that's difficult, I implore you, make a Jesus decision. Don't waver from your vision. Keep centered. Restrain yourself. Make your averages good. And you will reap what what your reward deserves. Because Jesus demonstrated something. Not led by emotions, not led by circumstances, but led by his Father. So when you look around your life and you think, I wish this was different or that was different, that's not what dictates to you. What dictates to you is, what's Dad saying? What's my foundation on? How high could I really go? 2019 could be your best yet. And I want to believe with you it will be. But it's yours for the taking. It's yours based on the decisions you're going to make. Will you get your first love back? Will you choose what's most important? And will you live life based on that choice? And could we as a church family cheer each other on in the process? That's part of the reason for connect groups, that we get together and say, how is it? I know you've got this vision to do X, Y, or Z. How are you getting on with that? Well, I've had a difficult week. Well, come on, we do this together. Let's share life. Because at this time next year, I want to have a bunch of people going, do you know what? I did it. I made good choices. My averages were right. I got back hold of my first love, and I am so pleased. And do you know what? Father in heaven will be so pleased too. Could I pray with you? Would you stand? Father, thank you for the challenges you bring us. We as a church, us as individuals right now, and you can choose this church. We choose to accept the things put in front of us. We're not going to be led by our circumstances. We're not going to be led by our feelings. We're going to be led by our relationship with you. We're going to be led by the vision you've put in our heart. And we're going to choose continually to do the right thing. And on that basis, Father, we expect to reap the rewards of that. So, Lord, bless everyone here. Encourage everyone here. Empower everyone here. Thank you that we don't do this on our own. Firstly, we do it with you. Secondly, we do it together. Thank you, Jesus. And just with every eye closed, is there anyone here today who feels like, I lost my first love and I need to get that back? I've stepped away from Jesus a bit. Maybe I've never known Jesus, and today's the day I want to get that back and live my best life. If that's you today, just give me a wave. We're going to pray. Bless you there, sir. Bless you there at the back. Bless you over there on the side. There's three people I can see. Thank you, Jesus. That's one there, one there, one there. So good that people are responding, church. Do you know what? Heaven celebrates when people choose Jesus. Let us always celebrate that. We're going to pray, church. I'll pray a line. We'll all pray it together. And if you're somebody who raised your hand, let something go off in your heart now. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you love me. Today, I choose to put you first. Come and live in my heart. Come and be my foundation.
and lead me forward. In Jesus' name. Come on, church. Let's give Father a round of applause.